Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Burn Your Boats with me, your faithful, your loyal host, Matt Lestalia. I'm here with you today um, to give you and present to you an amazing conversation that I had with Steve Sherman. I'm going to let him do the talking about himself. I will just say that there were so many, so many things that we talked about. And what was really interesting is that a lot of the conversation veered from talking about him specifically and talking about the people around him that motivated him. And a lot of those people weren't necessarily even there in person, which I thought was so phenomenal and such a such a cool and important thing to consider because I truly believe that if you take a look at somebody's closest friends, your top five friends, then you'll be able to show that person's future. You'll be able to predict their future by what it is that their friends are doing. So if your friends are all smoking crack over on the street corner, chances are, if they're like their top five friends and they are who you spend most of your time with, chances are you're going to be smoking crack on a street corner. But if you change and you shift from that and you ditch the crackheads and you get some inspirational and motivated people around you, chances are you're going to get motivated. You're going to get a chance to do some introspection and to really consider what it is that you want to do and how you actually want to spend each of the rest of your days. I actually just had this really cool thought today that I posted on social media that was um, when you start taking actions towards your passion, something shifts, and it's the question. It's the question that... A lot of people find themselves asking every day. You're at work, you're working your typical 9 to 5, and you're thinking, man, when can I get home? When does this end? What do I need to do in order to go home? And as a matter of fact, that was actually a personal mantra of mine for years. I would ask, what do I need to do to be able to leave? And so that way I could go and take action towards those individual tasks, knock them out, and then go back to whoever my supervisor was and say, these are done. Can I go? Okay, cool. Bye. When you shift that question and you when you switch your, uh, your actions towards your passions, then question shifts. And it's how much more can I get done? How much more can I jam pack into this day? I, I hate the saying that There's not enough time in the day. I completely don't agree with that at all. Um, It's a priority thing. If your priorities are on a certain thing, then you're going to do that certain thing. That's what you're going to do. So if your priority is to come home from work and chill out and watch Netflix, you're going to do that. If your priority is to build these amazing, rustic-looking American flags like my good buddy Kevin Brown is doing at, I believe it's Brown's Rustic Creations? Yeah, that's a free tag. I got you, bro. I got you. We're here. We support local business. We support that entrepreneur. I love it. I love it. I'm actually going to talk to him. He doesn't even know it. I literally just had this idea right now, and I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to talk to my homeboy and see if I can get him on the show. He's he's awesome. We actually live super close together. So, anyway... um, Let's just, uh, let's get to the show. Thanks everyone for coming. Um, if you like what you hear, then please share it, share it with a friend, let people know. And, um, without further ado, here is Steve Sherman.
Um, so I realized early on in my military career that I was, there were things about being in the service that I was really just naturally good at. And I could, and it was the basic, like what they tell soldiers is like right when they show up to their first unit is like, be at the right place at the right time in the right uniform. You do that and you're going to be better than 80% of the people. And I'm like, seems like a really low bar. But if that's the base, I can I can meet all of that. And it's just, a, it's, there's a very low expectation. But it was, to me, it was almost like a game. Like, and it was very straightforward. There was a structure laid out that was like, if you do these things, you'll be successful. If you learn these things, you'll go to a promotion board. You'll tell, they'll ask you the questions of the things that you studied and you knew, then you'll get promoted. And so everything that they said to do, I was just like, okay, well, I'll just do that, you know? And it's just, it's not, I, I don't understand uh, the the people that show up. And it's some of it turns into a kind of like a welfare kind of state where people just show up. And as long as they're showing up, then they're getting their paycheck. I'm like, okay, you're kind of a drag. You're kind of a drag on everything that's going on and it turns cancerous and and everything, uh, extra time and effort gets put on you and then the people that are doing well get all the extra work put on them. I remember I had a soldier who was, we selected every time we had displays and we had something like, okay, we need you need to go out there and be on this vehicle because people are going to come through. It's kind of like a show. Let's show off our equipment and let the families come through every time. And usually they're on the weekend. So all, all these weekends, the same guy is getting picked over and over again. He's like, I, he's like, did I do something wrong? Like, I feel like I'm being targeted out of all my peers. It's like, no, it's so this is this is the the problem that you're going to have to deal with for the rest of your career. As long as you choose to stay in is that because you're better than everyone, you're going to have to do more work. Like You're going to have to carry the load for everybody else. And it just goes back to kind of what we we're talking about is like this, the unprincipled nature in which an undisciplined nature in which. Uh, we allow people to live in. And so when I was able to figure out like, okay, I'm good at these things. I, you, in a lot of times in the army, you can choose kind of like, I'm just going to keep doing these things that I know that I'm good at. And I'm going to avoid the things that I'm bad at. And it feels like you can do that. Most people can do that in any profession. Like, I'm just, I'm going to highlight my strengths. And I'm going to avoid my weaknesses. And I, it, it, something switched. And I was like, I'm just going to do all of the stuff that I'm really terrible at. And I'm just going to, I'm going to run directly at it. Like, what what's going to happen when I have to teach this class about something that I just learned about two weeks ago. And I have to teach it to 80, 80% of the population that outranks me, you know. And I'm terrified at public speaking. I don't really know the material. And so, but... I know myself that if I put myself in that situation, I'm going to take the time to like, okay, I'm going to learn it. I'm going to review it to the best of my knowledge. I'm going to talk to the people that know what they're doing and I'm going to go do it. And it, it really changed my life. And it was like, oh, okay. You can, you can really do it. If you have the proper motivation and time and energy that you're going to put into something, there's, there's nothing that you can't do. Fear seems to be the biggest limiting factor for anybody in their life. And fear in and of itself is an acronym, and it stands for false evidence appearing real. So, so oh, let that's me give you the, beautiful. Let me give you the example. Okay, someone walks into a bank. He's got a hoodie on. He has his hand in his pocket, 
he takes his index finger and his thumb and he makes his hand appear like it's a gun in his pocket. Right. He aims it through his pocket at the teller and says, give me all your money. Well, she fears that the gun in his pocket is going to go off and shoot her, so therefore she gives him all of the money. Right. He then runs out of the bank. And in reality, it was his thumb and his finger, um, a finger gun. Yeah, finger gun. <laughs> for lack of a better term. I know there's a new tech, tech, uh, technical name for that. Uh, what is it? A class? No, it? I heard that. It's, it's like a, a class, class two firearm or yeah, something. Like, it's a class two lookalike firearm. Yes, I've heard that. Ridiculous. But, uh, <laughs> but it's just a finger gun. But again, it was false evidence appearing real. So, yes. you know, it created fear. And uh, that's something I, I don't take credit for a, a lot of the things that I share uh, with, with people because I've learned it from someone else. I, I believe that might have been Zig Ziglar that said that oh, uh, years ago. Man's a genius. I, uh, <laughs> I was fortunate enough to actually serve on his book and tape ministry in Dallas, Texas. Really? I got to know him and his family. Uh, I've seen the arrow shaped swimming pool in his backyard. That's incredible. Yeah, it was awesome. Awesome time. I was, uh, I was in my 20s and um, I had. Uh, I just actually uh, come to know Christ as my Savior, and, and uh, he had a lot to do with that because I was a young man, early 20s. Uh, it's funny, we're sitting in this environment today because I happened to meet Zig Ziglar via his cassette series called Born to Win oh, I that I picked up from a library. Uh, and I here we out, are. Yeah, I checked <laughs> it out from a library, and uh, I think I was probably 20 or 21. And uh, I remember taking, uh, I saw it on the shelf. It was under the motivational section. And I, I picked it up. I thought, who is this Zig Ziglar character? And I took these cassette, what a name. Tapes. Was cassette yeah. tapes back then. Yeah. So I took these cassette tapes home. And over that weekend, I listened to that entire series. And I was just a, you know, a young man working hard. Uh, I just moved to Dallas, Texas from Savannah. I grew up here in Savannah. I uh, went to high school at Windsor Forest. Uh, no college degree. And what were you doing for work at the time? So I was working for a company called Millionaire, and I had started with them actually in um, what you would consider middle management. Okay. Uh, I was a flight line supervisor. What had happened was I had a friend of mine who flew Learjets and here in Savannah for a company called Savannah Foods, Dixie Crystal Sugar back in the day, and he flew a Learjet. And I remember one day he and I went out to the beach, and on the way back from the beach, we stopped by the airport. He had to pick something up from his office, and I'd never seen a Learjet up close. You know, so I, I got out of the car, we went in, he opened up the hangar, and all of a sudden I heard angels singing, and you know, just, it was just amazing, you know, this thing. Oh my gosh, look at this thing, man. I've never seen anything like this. And he goes, well, go climb up in it, man, check it out. So I climbed up in it, and I sat in the left seat of that thing, and I was like, oh my gosh, look at this, look at all the switches and these buttons, and it was just awesome, you know, and he's like, man, he said, you know, you could learn to fly one of these, and I thought, are you serious? He said, yeah, man, you can learn to fly one of these, and I was like, wow, I never really thought about that, because a lot of times when you're young and you're, and you're raised in a different environment, you don't think about, you don't look up in the sky and see private planes flying overhead, think to, my, or to yourself, gee whiz, I could fly one of those, or even better yet, I could be the passenger in one of those. Right. You know, the passenger's going to make a lot more money than that guy flying the thing. <laughs> but bottom line is, is, I just never thought of it. And here I was being exposed to this, and I was like, this is amazing. And a year later, he moved to Dallas, Texas. 
and he called me up one day and he said, hey, so remember that time we were sitting in the Learjet? I was like, yeah, about a year ago? He said, yeah. He said, you said something about how you'd love to learn how to fly one of these things? I said, yeah. He said, well, I got an opportunity for you. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, he said, uh, there's a job opening here at the airport, and you would basically be what was called a hangar manager, which meant, you know, I would be in charge of refueling this corporate plane, making sure the corporate plane was nice and clean for the, you know, the big dogs. Right. It was a very entry-level type of position. Yeah. So I, uh, I had nothing to lose. I thought, you know what? Why not? So uh, 20 years old, I packed up my Toyota Corolla GTS hatchback with everything I owned and uh, drove uh, north to Atlanta and made a left turn and took I-20 straight to Dallas, Texas. Wow. And uh, he, uh, he allowed me to come stay with him. His name was Bobby Lewis. Great guy. Uh, allowed me to come stay with him. We, uh, we lived together. Uh, his roommates there for a couple of years until he ended up moving away and he had another a lot, a lot of these corporate pilot guys they get the way they get promoted is they get offered a better job flying bigger equipment maybe even another city so uh, he ended up getting another job I in the meantime started taking private pilot lessons and thought that that's what I wanted to do was was fly planes for a living um, unfortunately uh, I ended up uh, suffering an ear problem uh, my eardrum imploded and, and that took me out of that game for a while because an ear problem like I had so uh, imagine I, like the pressure like when exactly. you're flying and everything okay in fact that's how it happened I, oh I had, really I had a bad cold and I got on a commercial flight my father was sick here in Savannah I flew home uh, was here for about a week on my way back to Dallas uh, I had a cold got on the plane got to altitude my eardrum imploded and it was a very painful situation. But uh, bottom line is, is uh, it was something that took me out of the, the game for flying yeah. at that particular time. So um, I ended up going into a different area of the aviation industry. And, and uh, that's when I went to work for that company called Million Air, which was uh, a wholly owned subsidiary of the Mary Kay Corporation. And, and what I ended up doing was uh, I, I went to work for them as a flight line supervisor. They put out a memo saying they were looking for somebody upstairs uh, in their marketing department and asked anybody who wanted to submit uh, a resume to do so. I did so, and they called me upstairs. So, and so what was, what was your experience in marketing prior to that? So, so I had uh, literally self-taught, taken yeah. a lot of uh, courses on my own, uh, a lot of, lot of motivational things that yeah. uh, kind of helped me along the way there, too. Mm -hmm. uh, read a lot of books on, on marketing, guerrilla marketing, and some other things, and, and um, I just I listed those things. So they were very open to having me come up. I started out with them doing quality control for a few different locations that they had opened up throughout the country. And then they promoted me to sales and marketing manager where I started traveling all over United States, Canada, and some other places to market the franchise itself. That's amazing. One of the, so one of the basic premises of the show is, is overcoming fears and self-imposed limitations and the the path from you know where you begin to where you i don't want to say where you end because i don't feel like there's any ending until you die you know it's just constant growth but uh the things that come up that completely change the narrative one you you like your narrative was initially shattered because you had self-imposed limitations of and that you didn't even realize when it came to the idea of flying right. like it was like it wasn't even a possibility and then that opened up 
and I think the key difference between you and other people that even when a narrative or a new possibility opens up for people is like, oh, that would be nice. Oh, that is something I could do. Okay, back to my daily grind. Like you took positive action towards those steps and then you – so you started working in the industry and on top of that, you were on your own without anybody saying, you can do this. This is something that you're allowed to do. You started taking you know, flying lessons. Right. And then in the face of that narrative, that whole new story being shattered, the, again, it wasn't, okay, well, I'm, I'm out of aviation, you know, and you did not, one of the things that I, that I've heard in the last couple of years, which I really, really love is the concept of don't self-select. And so we say that in the military, there's, there's some specialized programs that I know that people uh, work in. They're like, Hey, come out and, and be an analyst for us out here, you have to apply, you have to go through this crazy process. And I, the response that I give and the response that many people give is like, I'm not good enough to be able to do that. Like, I, I like, I know what my limitations are. And the response from the people that I know that are currently working there is don't self-select. Let us tell, you no. like come out, like I know you and I'm telling you to come. You know what I mean? It's like, so I'm already given permission. And that's one of the most powerful things that I think that I've, I've come to realize is that granting permission is, is key to any endeavor you're going to do, but it can't come from the outside. Somebody can come up and tell you, yeah, you can do that. Like, but until you allow yourself, like you grant yourself that permission, you're, you're never going to take the proper steps. You're never going to take those actions the way that you did. And in you, that's, it's a beautiful part of your personality that I can see is just you, you are not self-selecting at any point you're like oh okay a position open up in marketing and I, i've read some books and i've listened to some things let's do it well here's, here's something else that you have to understand too you know i, I think youth is very powerful yes and, and i think that as a young man i was i was hungry i was surrounded by success i mean i saw people you know flying in on corporate jets that were at that time worth you know 50 60 million dollars you know, we, we're, we're here in Savannah, the home of the Gulfstream, you know, the Gulfstream Aerospace, or I guess it's just Gulfstream these days, but uh, uh, back when I was a kid, it was Grumman, and then they changed oh, it yeah. to Gulfstream Aerospace, and now it's just Gulfstream, but, but they make the world's finest corporate jet, and you can have one today for only $100 million, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's all. <laughs> Here's the thing. I used to see these planes flying in, and you know, and I was always curious about what these guys did, who these people were. Sure. And of course, I knew I could look up. But we we had a, a, a way of looking up who owned the plane. Uh, not everybody has access to that information. Right. In that in industry, you can look it up by looking up what they call the end number or the tail number of the plane, and you can see who owned it. Uh, I'll never forget. Uh, very interesting uh, time we had. Someone said. Uh, Someone said, hey, we've got a VIP coming in. And we had VIPs coming in all the time. I'm it like, seems like everyone's I'm a VIP. <laughs> when you're in Dallas, Texas, and you've got people flying from L.A. to New York, from Miami to New York, or Miami to L.A., uh, you're going to see people stopping in midway because they have to refuel the plane. So we would see a lot of very famous people. I used to get a kick out of seeing, like, uh, back in the day, you know, you had all these wrestlers and you'd see them on TV, and they were just absolute, you know, enemies of one another. Right. And they'd come flying in on the same plane together, 
and they were a little tipsy as they're getting on yeah. the plane. Got their arms around each other and yeah. everything else. And I'm thinking, you know, it really is such an act, but they do such a great job. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's, a, it's a show. I, I love that. I think it's so interesting that uh, people talk so much crap on professional wrestling. Like, don't you know it's fake? I, I grew up on wrestling. I haven't watched it in, in like a, over a decade. Yeah. But I remember loving it, loving it. And people were like, it's fake. Like, yeah, it better be fake. Do you see what they're doing? Like the guy just threw this other guy into barbed wire and yeah. smacked him in the head with a chair and threw him through a table. Like if I thought that these people were legitimately doing this stuff for real, the, like – Mental health and behavioral health specialists need to be called in immediately. <laughs> like this is not safe. <laughs> this exactly. is not good. <laughs> exactly. This was back in the day. You had people like Rick Flair. Oh yeah. You know, some of these guys, and, and again, they were all coming in, and it was just it was just fun to see them. And we saw a lot of famous people back then. Uh, you know, some of the names I'm kind of dating myself here, but you know, uh, Burt Reynolds and Lonnie Anderson back in the day when they were dating. Yeah. Uh, you had uh, Frank Sinatra would fly through on his DC nine. Amazing. Uh, you, you, in fact. Uh, uh, King Fod of uh, Saudi Arabia had, had come through. Um, but the most interesting person for me in, in all those days was someone said, have VIPs coming in, and we went to look up the tail number, and we couldn't find out who it was. Interesting. I wonder who this is. And the tail number showed that it was a little Cessna twin-engine propeller-driven. Just a little guy. You know, yeah. plane, and it's like... VIP flying in on something like that. That yeah. doesn't make sense. I mean, we used to see, you know, uh, uh, PepsiCo coming in on their, you know, their, their fleet of Canada Challenger, you know, jets, and and you would see uh, some of the other big companies, Nabisco, you know, coming sure. in on their, you know, Falcon, Dassault Falcon 900s and so on and so forth. These are really, really, really nice, expensive jets. You'd see these guys coming in, and they were all the top-level execs of the company and things of that nature. And here's this guy, he lands his plane, we're all out there, and he taxis in. And I say we're all out there, I mean, we're trying to be as discreet as possible. Of course. You're not supposed to. In that industry, you were never supposed to ask for an autograph or anything like that. Um, um, what's the, uh, I'm trying to think of his name. Arnold Palmer used to fly in his Citation Three, and, and he was one of those guys where he was okay with it. You know, hey, Arnold, would you sign my hat? You know? And, right. Um, but this particular guy taxis in. Our line crew gets out there. They chop the wheels, throw down the little millionaire carpet, and the door pops open. And it's an old guy. Never seen him before in my life. Had no idea who the guy was. Door opens up. He gets off. He's by himself. Little twin engine Cessna. Door opens up. A dog jumps off. He gets out. He's wearing Wrangler jeans, pro kid tennis shoes. T-shirt and a ball cap. And uh, one of the guys, one of our line guys said, sir, would you like me to sit you with your luggage? He said, no, but you can bring my truck around. So he went out to the front and got his truck, drove his pickup truck around. The pickup truck was probably 20 years old. Pulls it up to the side of the plane. The old guy starts loading stuff up in his truck. Says, Roy, calls his dog. Dog's name was Roy. Okay. Roy jumps into the cab of the truck. He flips a $100 bill to the dock hand. Uh, dock hand, I'm sorry. Wrong industry. Uh, <laughs> to, the, uh, uh, to the flight line guy. Tips him the $100 bill. Drives off. Well, we come to find out later, and by the way, I had said hello to him and I shook his hand, but I still didn't know. Right, yeah. 
Come to find out later, it was Sam Walton. Sam Walton. Of Walmart. Oh my gosh. So, and it's really funny because the dog, the dog named Roy, if you go to Walmart today, you will see a dog food brand on the shelf called Old Roy. Oh my gosh. You met Roy. Sam. But I just thought it was pretty amazing because, you know, I'd heard wow. stories all that time about how, you know, this old guy was, uh, he was so American, you know, American tennis shoes, American jeans, American t shirt, yeah. you know, the whole thing. And, you know, back in the day when Walmart first started, I, I think one of their selling points was everything in their store was all made in America. Right. I was just a little shift, a little shift. Since no, it was actually interesting. I I worked at Walmart for like three months as in like their tire lube section, and going through the training when you initially get hired, you have to watch this really long video that's basically like the history of Walmart, and you become very familiarized with Sam, and and what his principles were. And it's it's not that Walmart doesn't live those anymore but it's definitely not the same but like his his goal was to it truly was to undercut everybody else but it was for the sake of like i can i know that i can get you this same stuff cheaper. for cheaper right it was it was a the end game was a consumer move to to offer the consumer the best products possible at the lowest price. Rate. Yeah, exactly. And he knew that there was a way to do it, a distribution method in which he could do that worldwide and make that happen for the consumer and in the process become a multi multi billionaire. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> can't fault him for that at all. No, but the the amazing thing is that just like you said and it was evidenced in your experience with him is that he never lost touch with you know re, with reality. Right. You know, he's not Flying in on the three hundred million dollar jet. No, yeah, I'm sure he flew. Oh, I'm sure he had them, right? And I can assure you that after he passed away, his family um, jumped on Gulf Streams, probably even bigger planes than that. But uh, bottom line is, he was very frugal, and uh, it, it showed. I just thought it was really amazing, though, that he was on this old—I want to Cessna three hundred and ten or something—just uh, a, a little small twin-engine, propeller-driven, you know, type of plane. And I think he'd. Uh, Either gone hunting or, or something. Uh, you know, obviously he was from, you know, Arkansas. And I don't even know what his truck, his truck was doing in Dallas at the time. Yeah. How did, the, how did you manage this? It was, it was an old, it was an old uh, either a Chevy or a Ford, you know, truck. Yeah. Not a new vehicle, you know. He, he, but you know what? I mean, it's it's there's something to be said about that. I think there a is. lot of your uh, very successful people, I have a very successful uh, cousin, which I'm probably going to introduce you to as well. Please. Uh, here in town, he's a very successful lawyer, and and uh, it's really funny because you know he's he's fairly frugal when it comes to his lifestyle. You know, uh, he I think he just sold maybe a couple of years ago a pickup truck that he had for about fifteen years or, or longer, and um, you know he's not driving around in in Porsches. He actually did win a car. Uh, <laughs> he, he won a Tesla. Oh but wow! Would, but he would have never gone out and purchased a right. Tesla. You know, right. He's just not that type of has the the means the sure. to do so, but he's just not that type of a person. You know, he's uh, uh, very wise when it comes to money and finances. And, and I'm I'm actually uh, uh, my wife and I host a financial peace university course. I'm I'm a I'm a grad. I'm alumni. Really? Really <laughs> so we're, we're we're actually uh, 
uh, part of the team. We, we, we teach the class. That's amazing. And it's just, such a good course. Yeah, we just we just finished another course uh, or another class this past uh, February. For anybody that's not familiar, uh, Financial Peace University was something that was established by a gentleman named Dave Ramsey. And just trying to sum up like the principles of it very briefly, uh, I think his, his catch line or his tagline is uh, cash is king, debt is dumb. And, uh, and that you basically, his mantra is centered around the elimination of debt and living completely within your means. Another tagline being, uh, live like no one else today so that you can live like nobody else tomorrow. And that's when I, whenever I hear anybody who's really successful and is still buying those, even if it's like a three or four year old car, you know, like the fact that you could constantly lease or buy a brand new vehicle and you're not it's just it shows a financial discipline and and you've removed yourself from that game of keeping up with the joneses let me tell you something never and this is something that's always helped me never judge a book by its cover. in in the the book millionaire next door uh, one of the awesome examples that they gave and, and uh, Dr. Stanley I believe was his name I, I think he's passed away now but I thought it was such a cool example what he did was he he rented a ballroom in a hotel and what he did was he got a list of people who were true millionaires net worth you know million plus and he invited those people to come to this ballroom or a, I don't know, it was a, a, some type of a, uh, just a, a mingled situation where he had people come together. And he also invited people that lived in neighborhoods that were upscale neighborhoods that maybe didn't meet the million dollar net income. Right. But I think of, they look for like instance, it. Where, where, where we're at here, you think of the gated community of the landings. Uh, I know people that live in the landings. Uh, personally, it's too far out for me to even consider right. uh, as far as just the drive. I wouldn't want to make that drive. And you don't have to be a multimillionaire to live in the landings, but of course, it just it has that, that stigma. Yeah, it's like, you're it's in the group. Like, uh, people that live in Hilton Head. You know, yes. Like, you know, that type of stigma. And he invited these, these two groups to this room to have this get-together, but he had a spread of food out on the table. And what he had out on the table was he had champagne and caviar and you know very high-end, rich people-type foods on the table. But he also had on the table chips and dip and Budweiser beer, okay? And what he had was he had his staff sit back, and the certain people that were millionaires were actually identified with some type of a marking. Uh, yeah, like a pen or like, something. Sure. Well, maybe a little sticker on their name okay. tag or something like that. Identified them as the millionaires. So what he did was he had them observe. And what he noticed was from the time they arrived in the parking lot until the time they left, they were being observed by these people. What he saw was that the vast majority of those that weren't millionaires pulled up in Mercedes and Porsches and you know high-end brand cars and they came in and they ate the caviar and drank the champagne. 
while the millionaires, the true millionaires, lived in upper middle class neighborhoods in ranch style single level homes that the average upper middle class person might come from. He didn't flaunt his money. He drove a General Motors product, either a Chevrolet, possibly a Cadillac, but sure. it was still a General Motors product. Mm -hmm. And he drank Budweiser beer and ate chips and dip. So I, I've learned many times or many years ago that you never really judge a book by its cover. And you look at somebody like the Sam Walton story there. You know, here's a guy no one would have ever guessed that that was Sam Walton. At that time, just so you know, at that time, Sam Walton was the richest man in the world. He was the wealthiest man on the planet. And, just, and you could not deduce that from the package from his presentation. It's just the hand yeah. and the wealthiest yeah, 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 man yeah. on the planet yeah. did not even know who he was. Yeah. You know, so that's why I'm saying you can really never judge a book by its cover. You know, and I love the Dave Ramsey concept because... You know, he says, you know, trade in the BMW, you know, for the paid-off mortgage. Yes. And and, and, and I do, I, I see a lot of that happening, not just because we actually are coordinators for FDU, and we've seen it in, in some of these success stories that, that we've had, but we see it just in general, people growing up, coming coming into an understanding that debt is, as he says, dumb. Debt, debt is dumb. You know, debt is dumb. And... The, the great thing is, if I would have known in my 20s what compounding interest really meant, and see, these are, these are things not being taught in school, and I think that a child in middle school should learn what compounding interest is, how Absolutely. it works, and how it can make them wealthy, not by, not by going out and working three or four jobs, not by doing anything really out of the ordinary. Because right now, if you read Chris Hogan's book, Everyday Millionaire, it's a great book. just came out in January. Chris Hogan is one of the staff members with Dave Ramsey. Yep. He's been with him for a great, great while now. And this guy is amazing. He's got a voice that's, I mean, he should be, he missed his calling. Right. Voice. He's just, it's, he's got that real huge gift. Mm -hmm. But Chris wrote this book. He did the largest study on millionaires, bigger than any other book that's ever been written, even Millionaire Next Door. He did the, the largest study of millionaires. He studied over 10,000 U.S. millionaires. And it's amazing when you look at how almost every single one of them, they lived on a budget. Yes. They shopped from a grocery list. Okay, they actually had a list when they went into the store. And and they didn't go into the store hungry. Yeah, that's okay. huge. You don't, you don't go shopping when you're hungry. <laughs> don't do it. Right? Because you'll end up spending more yep. than what you really need to do. Yep. And it's really amazing when you start to see how alike these people really are. Mm -hmm. And just all of the uh, characteristics that are so similar. But... I hear stories about people that are worth two, three, four, five million dollars, and they're average people that went to work for a company, took advantage of the 401k, yep. full match, 
took advantage of you know, every every aspect they could of that. And over a 20-year period, they retire from this, this company. You know, they went to work when they were 20 with this company. They're 40 now. They're still a young man. Yes. 40. And they're retired, and they're worth seven figures. Exactly. And they still have the ability to go have an entire career somewhere else doing yep. something else. Most likely in a business of some kind because now they have the ability mm-hmm. to go out there and maybe start a franchise or do something along those lines. They, they can choose something that they're passionate about exactly. and they don't they don't have to be uh, pigeonholed into something that's going to provide the income that they need because it's already there. That's, I actually listened to, I used to listen to Dave Ramsey's uh, radio show all the time. I stopped uh, recently, but um, one of the last ones I listened to was phenomenal. It was exactly on that. He's like, I want today. I only want callers who are net millionaires. And I wanted to, Oh my gosh. It was, and it was, the results were exactly what Chris Hogan talked about. And, it's it's the thing. The misconception is that millionaires make millions of dollars in income every year, and it's not true. the The people that called in over and over again were they're like, "Yeah, I make like one hundred and fifty, two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year." Um, I've been continuously just you know investing into the stock market. And some less than that. Yes. Some yep. less than that. The yep. average household income today in America is fifty thousand dollars less. That's the average household income. Okay. So you've got people, couples that are making fifty, sixty, maybe seventy-five thousand sure. dollars total household income, and if they're smart about it, and if they live today like no one else, so they can yep. live tomorrow like no one else. Yep. If they do that and they're smart about it, then you see these young people, young couples, you know, mid forties, that have a net uh, wealth of of a million plus, mm-hmm. and of course that includes their home. Yes. Yes. You know, they may have a three hundred thousand dollars home that's mm-hmm. paid for. Exactly. Okay? That's and the they difference. Have other assets that come into play, but it's it's, it's still there's there's still a net millionaire no matter mm-hmm. how you look at it. Mm-hmm. They're worth a million bucks. Yep. And if they play their cards right, if they invest properly, if they do all the right things, they may never have to do anything else. And their money will work for them. Yep. And grow for them. I heard I heard this expression. It's I'm trying to remember the name of the book. Uh, it's the richest man in Babylon. Yes. Yes. And so there's a there's a term in that book that uh, he says to enslave your money. Yes. And it's yeah, and it's I, I I like it because one the phrase just makes you stop because you hear the word slave and you're like whoa wait wait a minute what are we talking about but it's just a way to kind of uh, get it like get like a mental stop like and make you pay attention but it's your money can sit under a rock in your mattress in a bank account and sit there and do nothing or you could put your money to work for you you know and so you're going to continue to work and you're going to continue to pay your bills and and to add to your savings but what how are you using the tools and the systems that are available to invest and, and to make your money grow. And it's I th- one of the biggest things is, is underst- knowing and understanding the things that you're investing in. And I think that's kind of where it goes back to education. And what the two biggest things that I wish we could adjust from very early on education is increase the number of counselors that are in every school. Because I spoke from kindergarten through 12th grade. I spoke to a counselor two times 
the second time, which was the only substantive conversation that I had, was two months before I was graduating high school. And he was like, so what's your plan? I'm like, this is a really good time to start this conversation is right now. And I was in a college preparatory high school. And so everyone was going to, you know, they were leaving the state, going to UCLA, going to Lafayette uh, and all these Duke and all these amazing schools. And I was like, I'm going to Universal Technical Institute. I'm going to go get a degree and get certified to work on cars. And his jaw just dropped. He's like, are you serious? He's like, you can't do that. You can't leave this school and go do that. And I was like, it's funny because I, I am. <laughs> that is what I'm doing. I mean, look at my grades. I'm not like I was not a star student uh, and, and priorities were, weren't there. But uh, that and like so you have math and in math you have all the different, you know, you have algebra, uh, you have calculus and you have this these branches of math. Like, can we have I want a life branch where it talks about, OK, here's here's compound interest. Right. Here's and they do some of this. Here's how to balance a checkbook. Here's how to cook. Here's how to here's how to live on a budget. Let me, let, let me just tell you that when I went to high school, many years before you, yeah. school, when I went to high school, they actually did have a class, and I took it called Palmec. Yes, yep. And That's still a thing. I think it was not a thing at my school, but it, it's still a thing. I, I, I don't know if they're teaching in golf, right? Anywhere anymore, but but what what I know was is they did teach you some life skills there, mm-hmm. but. Unfortunately, in today's society, you have too many people that literally don't know how to, to balance a checkbook. Right. They have no idea. Well, and then you look in the home because where that type of what, what we're relying on and what I feel like we should be relying on, but we're failing in that aspect, is that the home is is should be a learning place and it should be modeled behavior for children. And so the kids should be seeing their parents model those behaviors like balancing a checkbook, like not taking on enormous amounts of debt. And we're not seeing that. And it's, it's, it's not a generational thing. It's a thing that's gone through generations where it's promoted to have that BMW, you know, and and to buy that house. Like, no rent, rent the house. If you can't afford the maintenance and the upkeep rent and, and talk to your kids about that. Like it's one thing to be like, oh no, I can't. We can't get that. We don't have the money because that's usually the conversation that happens. And the kids are like, oh, okay, we're not like. I see Johnny next door. He gets all the new toys, and we don't. So I know that we don't have that much money. And that's where like the education ends that's for right. a lot of children. That's right. And there's so much room for that, but a lot of the parents aren't educated. And that's why I love things like Financial Peace University because it's a shock to the system, and you can really change the way you live. And then it opens up that dialogue in the house. Um, I love to bring my kids in and, and to teach them those kinds of things, whether uh, about everything that I can think of that is not being taught in the schools. I'm like, okay, I don't need to give you a history lesson. Maybe, maybe I do still, but, uh, like I'm going to teach, I teach them gun safety. Like I have a gun in the house. And so they all very much know, like they know the components of a round of like one bullet. Like they can look at him like, okay, that's the shell casing. This is the primer. This is where the, the, it gets contacted so that it actually shoots. This is the actual bullet that goes, this is the gun. This is how it works. And through that understanding, they're not scared of it. They look at it like, okay, this is essentially, it's a tool. It's It's like a saw. By itself, it does nothing. Exactly. And just so you know, I'm the exact same way have been. In fact, I know you met, some of my family, my yeah. and daughter, daughters, I don't know if 
They were both there with you. Yeah, yeah, your wife and daughter were both at this. This it's an amazing story how this whole thing happened. I was interviewing uh, Adam Messer, and we were at a coffee shop, and it was funny because I was trying to go outside because there were a lot of people inside the coffee shop, and Adam was like, "No, it's fine. We'll just go inside." And so we go in there, and your wife and daughter with some other ladies were there. And they were having a conversation at the table right next to us. And so like, I was going back and listening to our recording of me and Adams. And I'm like, I'm list- I can hear the conversation that's happening. I'm like, oh, because I know. They're-. But it was after the interview, I was able to talk to them. And they were like, oh, you know who would be great is, you know, like my dad and would be a fantastic person for you to talk to. I'm like, that's, that's amazing. That's- and that's how we're here. Yeah. So- so, and so that daughter... Uh, I believe that was Hannah. Uh, she's she's uh, a lot like me when it comes to very success focused, you know, success minded. You know, one thing I learned a long time ago was that the highest paying career on the planet is sales. So it's it's really funny because you can determine how much money you want to make based upon your efforts uh, and your ability to get out there and make it happen. And that's why I'm such a a proponent of specialized knowledge. You know, if you go back and you read uh, Think and Grow Rich, for instance, you, you learn about specialized knowledge uh, and being an expert in whatever field you choose. You don't, and I'm not knocking this in any way, shape, or form. Not everybody is college bound. No. Not everyone's. And you don't need to be. That's exactly right. Uh, you know, I look at some success stories. Look at uh, uh, the founder of Wendy's. Um, uh, Dave, um, Thomas? Dave Thomas, Thomas. Yes. Dave Thomas, you know, I mean, here's a guy who created a, a huge, huge business, uh, countless millions, never graduated high school. You look at Henry Ford, you know, Henry Ford had, I think it was a sixth grade formal education, you know, and, and he even took somebody to court one time because they called him ignorant. Uh, some some newspaper called him ignorant and took him to court, and he sued him for slander. And it was amazing because they put him in the uh, on on trial there, and he, and he got into the witness box there, and they asked him a question. Well, isn't it true that you only had a or only have a sixth grade formal education? And he looked at the young man, the attorney. He said, young man, he said, on my desk sits a box. And on that box are 10 buttons. And if there happens to be someone who asks me a question that I don't know the answer to, I can summon any one of those 10 men. And they can answer any question from anyone at any time. That goes to, I think Ronald Reagan said it, that... uh, to surround your, the importance of surrounding yourself with smart people. And it's, it takes a smart person to recognize the importance of that. So, so you become the sum total of the five people you hang out with the most. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I, what I say this to people all of the time is that show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Right. You know, it's, it is, there is no truer statement. I can look back on my life and the actions and the, the priorities, which you can, if you look at somebody's the, like the sum total of where you're spending your time and the actions that you're taking, that shows me your priorities, right? right? And regardless of what you say, what you do shows me your priorities. But you show me the people that you're with, and you'll tell me what you're doing. So, so I would say that for the 
for the definition of success for me, when I look at what my daily ritual is, I get up in the mornings, and the first thing I do, and I'm not ashamed of this, is I've been a Christian now for over a little over 30 years now, 54 years old today. And what I do is I spend that first part of the day acknowledging and honoring what my faith is. So I spend time reading my Bible and, and praying. And I try to read a Proverbs a day um, because that it was written by the wisest man ever, uh, Solomon. Uh, and and it, the book of Proverbs is all about having wisdom. And you know, reality is, is you can't be successful in life if you don't have wise thoughts, if you're not wise in the way of your, your walk every day. And it's not all about, you know, Bible thumpers or whatever, you know, people, yeah. you know, want to call Christian folks or whatever, but it's, it's really, it's really a matter of giving honor where honors do. Yeah. And then understanding that if you surround yourself with the right people, and that, that doesn't necessarily mean, uh, your buddy across the street or your buddy down the road. That's not what I'm talking about. You said earlier that you like to listen to things, keep your mind occupied. Mm -hmm. So I have in my vehicle, I carry, and I'm old school, you know, I, I could probably download it on my phone, but I have CDs that I plug into my CD player. And I have, of course, the Tony Robbins mm -hmm. and the Les Browns and the Zig Ziglar's, yeah. okay? motivational things that I like to listen to that keeps me motivated. And these are people I'm hanging around with. These are part of the You're absolutely team. right. You're absolutely right. I remember a guy by the name of Eric Warre. Eric Warre is a uh, very successful entrepreneur out in Las Vegas now. Uh, I remember him from 20 years ago. He and I were in a business together, and it happened to be a network marketing style business. And he did very well. Uh, he it was his first real venture into the, the business, and it just took off for him, and he did extremely well. But the reason why it did was because he started to think the right way. He started to position himself in the right way. And it was funny because he had an opportunity. He talked about, he, he, he said the right things. There was a book I read in my 20s called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself, written by Shad Helmstetter. I love the premise already. Yeah, he was speaking the right words. He was saying the right things. And in the process, he was saying things about hanging around with certain people, specific people. Well, naming any specific names. And it was really great because at one point, something clicked and he realized, I'm actually going to the airport right now to pick up Les Brown. And I'm bringing Les Brown to an event that we're having. Incredible. Now, he wasn't hosting the event. He just happened to be the guy to pick him up yeah. at the airport. But here's a guy sitting in the back of this car that he listens to in his car on CDs all the time. Or back then, might have been cassette tapes right. or whatever. But he was listening to him. And here, it became a reality for him. Well, today, Eric is on his biggest stage maybe even a bigger stage, and some of these guys that were considered mentors to him. You mentioned Tony Robbins earlier. Tony Robbins just 
what was the keynote speaker at one of Eric's uh, big events that he hosts every year. Amazing. It was last year, last uh, uh, maybe not this past December, December before, where he came and was a keynote speaker. So he has moved from the average guy to connecting and being friends with people like Tony Robbins. Um, what's, uh, I'm not, I'm not uh, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. Uh, bald head guy. He's, um, he's a pop star, current pop star. Uh, I just can't think of his name at the moment. Is it Pitbull? Yeah, Pitbull. Yeah, Pitbull. Yeah. Pitbull. Hey, Pitbull. That's, that's so funny. I'm so not so, right into so, the culture like that. So that's amazing. So, so Pitbull <laughs> was actually at his conference that same year, and Pitbull shared a story about how he came literally from nothing. In fact, I don't know his culture. I don't, I don't listen to yeah. a lot of his music. No. I, I've heard some of the songs because it's so popular. But I think he has a, a, a nickname. They call him Mr. Worldwide or something like that. That sounds familiar. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's just something along those lines. And it's because his brand is so huge. I mean, this, this guy is worth multiple billions of dollars. And when you look at his background and where he came from and how he got started, he tells a story. It's pretty amazing, you know. Uh, so again, it's just surrounding yourself with the right people. I, 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 I start my day out right. I surround myself with the Word of God. I try to live that life. And that, believe it or not, was instilled in me by a man by the name of Zoom Ziegler. Uh, when, when I, when I uh, uh, started going to church, I went to the church where he taught a Sunday school class. I, I was able to get involved in a Sunday school class. And life changed. You know, it was a, a, a pretty amazing thing. And what, what I've always stood on over the years, even in some of the difficult times, because understand, you know, success doesn't come overnight. You know, there are a lot of struggles that come along, and you, you, you have to be there in the peaks and the valleys. But one of the things that I've always stood on, and I call myself a Zigglerite for many years, was the one saying that, that Zig is really known for. And that is, you can have anything in life. I've literally, that's so funny. I, I just pulled up my phone you really to, to look to look up that specific quote. You can have anything in life you want as long as you're willing to help others get what they want. Yep. Now, I've actually modified that. And, and here's what I've Let's hear it. I've just added one word. The end of that statement. You can have anything in life you want as long as you're willing to help others get what they want first. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to me, it's a, the basic premise of the marketplace like if i'm if i'm uh if i provide a product to people my the primary objective theoretically and i think for a lot of business owners especially uh on the smaller side this is probably stays more uh more true is that i'm they're there to provide a product and the product the goal of it is to add value to your life right. or to make things easier right and so that is, that's, that's the kind of the mark of success. Like, am I adding value to your life? Because the more that I do that, the more likely you are to come back and to continue to purchase my products. And so I'm, I'm curious. So I love, I love the, the religious aspect of your life and how that is, it, it's a guiding principle. Well, it's, it's the number one. Thing exactly. And, and understand that it, it wasn't that way when I was growing up. Right. 
I, I actually didn't come to Christ until I was in my mid-20s. Yeah. Uh, I was actually 24, and and my life changed. I never looked back, and it's, and it's been a wonderful life. Uh, again, filled with peaks and valleys. Of and course. That's, that's just life in general. Uh, people are going to hurt you. People are going to say things about you. People are going to do things to you. Um, and it's just how, how you respond to all of those situations that makes the difference. And I can tell you that I respond today differently than I would have responded prior to knowing Christ. Sure. Uh, I, I try to respond in love. I, I try to respond with compassion. Uh, sometimes it's difficult because I'm yeah. a human being and I have of human course. nature. Uh, but in reality, what I want and what I understand, and, and by the way, I went to a, a Bible study when I was also in my 20s right after I came to know Christ, and it was taught by a gentleman by the name of Gary Kinder, another guy you can Google. He's, I don't even know if he's still around, but uh, he's an older gentleman, very successful, very successful. And I remember having a conversation with him one day after Bible study, and I had some questions. And one of them was kind of a general question about life and success. And he looked at me and he said, you haven't gotten it yet, have you? I thought about what he said. I was like, wow, what's, what's he talking about? Joshua 1.8. If you really want to know how to succeed, go read Joshua 1.8. And it will tell you. I'm not going to mention it here. You're not going to say it. Leave, leave it. Sure. Want you sure. And listeners to go yeah. look at Joshua 1.8. And you'll see the, the definition right there. It's plain and simple. How to achieve success in life. In this world, the blueprints there. Okay? It's laid out. It's very short. Okay, Joshua one eight. So, bottom line was, is I thought about what he said, and I started to apply, and I started to do those things. And again, over the years, you know, you, you, you have times where things are wonderful and terrific, and then you have times where you're. Uh, I'll go back to another scripture reference uh, where you're where you're the man of Job, and if you ever read that book. That's another actually incredible book about success because Job lost everything. He lost everything. I mean, his family, his children, they, I mean, they, they were all killed, okay? But he came back, and that's the part of Job that's such a great story is that he came back, and when he came back, he was even more successful than he was before the tragedy, uh, the, the tragedy took place. So, yes, I, 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 I like the the as you call it the religious aspect of it because I feel like true success has to come with that aspect to it because here's what I, I believe I believe that we are here for a season but I also don't believe that this is where it stops because according to my faith I believe that there is an eternity I believe that eternity exists. And I also believe that there's only a couple places that you're going to go afterwards. And I know where I want to go. And I know where I want all my family to go, right? So I'm going to do my best to ensure that I position myself for that, that walk and position them for that walk as well. Uh, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll notice that I actually, on, on the license plate of my car, it says legend. Okay? And the reason why I did that was kind of a joke. Yeah. Uh, Tongue but, in cheek, yeah. But but I, I really want to be known 
to have a legacy. I want that for I'll, I want to be the guy that has a legacy, something that my children, my children's children, and children's children, uh, assuming that you know we, we continue to to make it. Uh, I want I want that to take place. I want those people to look and say, you know what, I'm here today because of something my grandfather or my great grandfather or my great great grandfather did that changed the course, changed the path. Because quite candidly, my my dad wasn't really there for me. When I was a young man, a, a, a child, we had a pretty decent upbringing. Divorce came into our lives when I was 12. And life changed. And I got introduced to all kinds of bad things, drugs and uh, alcohol and, and all kinds of things. Just a bad lifestyle at 12. And for many years, about 12 years, okay, it was, it was a difficult time. Still through those 12 years, I still had the burning desire to succeed in life. And even through some of those later years, I was already pursuing it. And finding people like Zig Ziglar who could mentor me, who could speak in my life. And it was really great because when I met Zig personally for the first time, it, I got to tell you this story. Please. So, so, so I'm sitting, I'm sitting in my office. I had listened to those cassettes that mm -hmm. weekend, right? So I finished listening to tapes. And, and let me tell you something. Anytime you listen to Zig Ziglar, it's just motivating. But when you listen to a whole series in a weekend, which was a weekend seminar that he used to teach called Born to Win. And of course, Zig would always throw in something scriptural, always, because he, he was a Christian man, and, and, and his testimony, his story is pretty miraculous in itself, too, in and of itself, too. But I listened to this, this course, and at the end of the course, he challenged you to call his office. One of the segments was customer service. And in that segment was how to answer the phone properly, right? For instance, somebody calls me up, or I, I return calls. I'll call someone. Yeah, hello, Mr. Jones. This is Steve Sherman. How are you doing today, sir? Uh, doing great, or I'm doing fine, or I'm doing well, right? Now, this is something I took from Zig Ziglar, of course. You're going to recognize this. And then they'll, of course, respond back with, how are you? Right? We always hear that. Mm -hmm. What they don't expect is what I say, what I say next. And that is, I am super terrific, but I'll get better. I am outstanding, but I'll get better. And I say it with a smile on my face. And the reason why is because you can hear that over the phone. Absolutely. You can hear that smile. You can. When I've, when I've had to sit at a phone bank and make call after call after call, I've done it. They look silly. But I'm sitting there and I'm going, hey, Matt, how's it going? You know, and I'm smiling. I even had a mirror one time in front of me to make sure that every time I was Is it on? Smiling, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Am I smiling? Yeah. So the bottom line is you can hear that. So he challenged you to call his office just to hear how they answered the phone. So that Monday morning, I show up. I'm sitting in my office in the Millionaire Building, 4300 West Grove Road, Dallas, Texas. Technically, Addison, Texas. <laughs> Sitting there in my office upstairs, and I decided to make the phone call. And the lady answers the phone. It's a great day at the Zig Ziglar Corporation. 
Hi, may I direct your call? Now, this was back in the 80s, man. People weren't answering phones like that, okay? Yeah, you call Minus Muffler, you know, that's it. Yeah. There was nothing else, you know? So you just didn't expect somebody to answer so cheerfully. And then how may I direct your call? Oh, my gosh, what's that all about? So it was pretty professional. And, of course, I didn't want to just hang up on the radio. Yeah, so I, like my mission is complete. Thanks for answering. So I, said, so I, said, I said, oh, hi. I said, uh, I said, yeah, my name's Steve Sherman. I was just listening to some cassette tapes over the weekend with Zig Ziglar. And I'm just curious, where is he speaking at next? I'd love to go attend one of his seminars. So she said, uh, well, where are you calling from, sir? And I said, I'm calling from Dallas, Texas. And there was a pause. And she said, okay. She said, well, actually, he's speaking next, this Sunday, at First Baptist Church, downtown Dallas. Get out. And I went, oh, he is? And she said, he speaks there every Sunday. And I was like, what? Wow. She said, well, he teaches a Bible study class. Now, look, I had not come to know Jesus yet, right? Right. right? Oh, so, wow. So I'm still, and I don't mind sharing this, right? Yeah. So I'm still snorting cocaine. Yeah. I was a white collar yeah. executive, right? But I was still doing this, this, this stuff here. Snorting cocaine, drinking Crown Royal straight, and, and, you know, partying single guy. You know what those, you know, yeah. those kind of guys do, right? So Absolutely. that's what I was doing. And uh, I thought it was really kind of funny because... Uh, she paused and, and she said, yeah, he's, he's there every Sunday. And I was like, oh. And then I thought, oh, well, that means I'd have to go to church. Yeah, to that, that might be a bridge too I far. Know, <laughs> I, mean, I, I like the guy's stuff and everything else. Do I like him that yeah. much? <laughs> so I got the information. Mm -hmm. it, it, was, uh, it started at, uh, I think it started at 9.30 and it lasted an hour. And I thought, well, maybe I'll go. But what was really funny is I'm standing there looking out the window, and she says to me, she says, yes, sir. She said, we're actually, our offices are actually located uh, in Addison, Texas. And I said, really? <laughs> I'm on the phone with her, right? And, and I'm looking out the runways out there. I'm looking out over the runway. And I say, okay, so where at in Addison are you? She said, oh, we're located at Amelia Earhart Drive. Well, where would Amelia Earhart Drive be located in Addison, Texas? Would it possibly be by an airport? Probably by an airport. <laughs> so, so I'm looking literally across the runway where I know Amelia Earhart Drive is, and I'm looking, and lo and behold, I see the Zig Ziglar sign. Get out. Like, can I see you right now on the phone? <laughs> all these years, all this time, okay, and he's been right. Stone's there. throw. Wow. So it was just destiny. And it was really awesome because I decided to actually uh, put on some nice, you know, I say nice clothes. <laughs> you, you think of going to church, right? You know, you yeah. put on a suit or whatever, yeah. which I wore a suit anyways back then every day. And I, I uh, put on my, my church clothes that Sunday morning, and I showed up for his Bible study class. And immediately after his Bible study class was over, I left. <laughs> so I left. Um, but it was really funny because it was really the beginning of God dealing with me in my life. Right? Yeah. And uh, really, it was a it was a seed planted. Zig was awesome. It was great to see. I didn't go back for a year. I, I didn't go back to any any more Sunday school classes. Sure. And, but the seed uh, was I planted. A, I had a I had a real life, uh, true life experience that changed me completely when I met Jesus. Um, something for certainly another time, but. But I will tell you that it, it, it changed my life in an instant. 
Um, in fact, uh, I, I tell people, if you really want to know about what happened to me, and it was a very spiritual thing, and it wasn't something I was looking for or asking for, it just happened. But there's a gentleman in the Bible in the New Testament named Paul, and he has a conversion. Paul was hated by the Christians. He, he was out on a mission to kill them all. And uh, unfortunately for him, and really fortunately in the end, uh, on the road to a city called Damascus, he had an experience where Jesus literally came upon him and he spoke with him. It's a pretty amazing story. And he actually blinded him later to only have those things fall off of his eyes. But it's called a road to Damascus experience. And it's where Paul went from being a hater and murderer of, of Christians to becoming a Christian. Now, I wasn't a hater or murderer of Christians. Right, right. But I see a lot of his story in mind yeah. because I had a very similar road to Damascus experience. No, no, I didn't see a, a ghostly being come through the wall in my apartment that day and speak to me. So I, I didn't have I didn't have that happen. Um, but but I certainly I certainly did change and for the better. Uh, so and I share that only simply because that's part of my success story. That's that's part of what led me on the right track to learning and studying and, and wanting more in life. Because even today, uh, people would look at me and say, yeah, he's pretty successful. Uh, my, my company is, is one of the top sales organizations for the companies that we represent. Uh, I am one of the top sales people for the companies that we represent. So when people look at me at that level, they would say, yes, he's reached a level of success. To me, without that spiritual side, there is no success. Because again, I believe life goes on after we die here. This is just the beginning. Eternity is a long time. Fair. Yeah. This is just 80, 90 years, maybe 100 at best, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I only want to be 100, though, if I'm physically fit. Exactly. And I die in my sleep. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> I don't want to die from suffering and pain and all this other stuff, you know? Well, I think it's, it's interesting. Uh, I, I, I usually wrap these interviews up with asking people what, you know, success means to them and you've defined it throughout the entire time, which is great. I've, one of the things that gets lost upon a lot of people's, uh, or where they kind of get tunnel vision is success in business. Right. And so, and, and obviously you, you've had a lot of that and you continue to prosper and do well, but you don't limit it to just that, you know, your success is in your relationships and in, in your, in your personal relationship with God and your relationship with your family. And it, it, it pours over because you'll see that with some people where they're, they're killing it. They've got their, their business and they're multimillionaires that are making a ridiculous amount of money and, and helping a lot of people at the same time. But their personal relationships are, are exactly. And, and to me, that's not success. No. See, to me, that's success in one area of life. Right. I, I, I define success as total success. And 
I don't know that anyone can completely say that they're successful in every area of their life. I mean, a simple equation is if you're in fifth grade and you finish the school year up and you aced science, but you failed English, Perfect. like you, you didn't, you didn't pass the grade. You're not moving on. And that's the way I kind of look at it. And I'm going to steal that from you. I'm going to use that from from now on. That's how I really define it. I, I, I want, I want to be defined here. Here's, you know, you, you've heard of the dash, right? So, so what that refers to, and there's a, I think there's a book out there or something like that. Um, uh, but but it, it's it's referring to your birth date and your death date. The dash. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, that's that's what what matters, right? Yep. So for me, what matters, what's the most important thing to me and to, to my family and to my friends is in that dash is to position everyone for what's to come after that end date, because I believe that you know internally we have a soul. And I'm not trying to get too... too oh, I mean, by all means. Yeah, I believe that we have a soul. And I believe that our soul is on. And, you know, again, eternity is a long time. I believe that what we do here defines where we go after here in eternity. And I just want to make sure that everybody I know... Because here's the reality. You know what the definition of a hypocrite is, right? I mean, you, yeah. everybody's oh, yeah. a hypocrite. Absolutely. Right? So, so if I truly believe that there's a life after death, and I truly believe that there's a bad place and a good place, right? Okay, I'm a hypocrite then if I don't go to my friends and my family members and tell them what they need to do in order to go to the good place instead of the bad place. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? If, if, if I'm going to preach that lifestyle, all right, I owe it to them to, to share what they need to do in order to make it there. Absolutely. And well, and one of the best things that I've seen when it comes to convincing anybody of anything, one one of the worst approaches is to, is to, is to tell them, Hey, what you're doing is wrong and, and, or what you think about this is wrong. And this is the right way to do it because most people just dig their heels in and go, okay, give me that extra line of Coke, throw it in your face. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I think one of the things that you do really well and what the most successful people do when it comes to influencing is, again, like we talked about before, is modeling behavior. So people can look at you and say, wow, he's really successful. And look and in and, and all of these different aspects of his life, I wonder – like what? What is it that drives him? What What are his principles? And they look like, oh, well, he's he is adamant about his faith, and and that's like that's first. And so, what? Maybe there's something to that. Maybe, maybe like maybe I sh- will go to his church and see what they're talking about, and and maybe I'll have a conversation with him about faith. And they kind of come to it on their own because they see that you're actually living the principles, and through living those principles. You've gained so much success. I, I, will t- I will tell you, Matt, that most of the people that I have looked at as mentors in my life have always been men that have a strong faith. And, and I don't know if it was just meant to be that way. Right. Uh, I can just tell you that those are the ones that I get the most out of uh, who understand that there is a God and that He loves us. And he wants what's best for us. And I think, you know, if we look at him as our father, okay, our heavenly father, 
as a father, I know what I want for my children. Mm -hmm. I want the absolute best for my children. I want my children to be 10 times more successful than me. And it's sad because I see people out there in today's society who their parents don't want their kids to be more successful than they are. You know, well, like when did this shift happen? Jealous, yeah, over their own children's success, and I, it just drives wedges and divisions. I, and I just I don't understand that. I've never been able to comprehend that. But but for me, I want my children to have the best. And if I want my children to have the absolute best, then I want them to have the absolute best in eternity. Right. So, so that's it's my job to point them and direct them and guide them. And it's it's the same with with others. I'm not going to come up to somebody and beat them over the head and, and tell them, you know, you're wrong, you're bad, you're right. evil. I'm not going to do that, okay? Yes, I'm going to, as they say, let my light shine sure. right, before others uh, and gently, with love, yeah. guide and direct. Absolutely. Now, people sometimes twist the words around when, when it's, don't, don't judge me. I'm not judging anybody. It's not my job to judge anyone who's not walking with Christ, period. It's ironic, though, that in the Bible, if you confess to be a Christian and you're walking a bad path, as a Christian, we are commanded to go to that person and gently guide them back. And, and some people consider that judging that person. But in reality, all we're doing is it's, it's helping. Yeah. And saying, hey, listen, you've said that you are this type of a person, and I want to help you make sure you're back on track. It's love and caring That's for people right. in your community. Yeah. I think. So, and I know that there are a lot of people that listen that aren't particularly religious and the way that I kind of equate this and when I think about it and I bring it outside of religion and we're talking about, you know, I love when you talked about leaving a legacy and how you have legend on the car is you can still consider life to be eternal, at least to some aspect for the duration of humankind through the legacy that you leave. And so whether that be if you never have kids, you're still like, what impact are you having on the people around you and how is that going to endure? And also specifically, if you do have kids, what what kind of reality are you presenting for them and what kind of ethics and morals and principles? Because you could you could give your kids so much stuff, but at the end of the day, the, the stuff is just stuff and the stuff will run out and wear out. And at some point they have to become self-reliant. Right. And so I think about it. I'm like, I want, I know that people that know my dad and they know his work ethic, which is, it doesn't even make, I can't even, people say that I have a good work ethic and I'm, I, I disparage myself because I'm like, I know good work ethic right. and it's it's my father and so i don't live up to that i do i do good i don't do great and so but i i think about and then but i get associated with that they're like oh yeah like i know you're not, and now that you're in profession like i've been i've been talked to by multiple people when i was a lot younger they're like yeah we would love to have you come like work for our company come work on this construction crew or whatever because we know what the Lestalia name means like to us in this community and i want that for my kids too like i I almost it. I do, I would never be the type of person that would be like, okay, you know, Lestalias are lawyers, you know what I mean? Or like, we do this, but but in a more generalized way, that you you being around is a benefit to the people that you're around, and they know that they're like, oh, it's you're you're from this clan, you know, and we know that you bring you bring it. Right. Whatever it is, in whatever industry, whatever your passion is, like you're going to be the top because you're going to work harder. 
And that's something that I, that I acknowledge about myself. It's like, I'm not as smart as everyone else. I've been around some really, really intelligent people. And the reason that I've been able to have success is what it sounds like very similar to your story is because I'm willing to work 10 times as hard as a smart guy because I know that I have to. <laughs> so, um, so oh, I, we didn't really get into a lot of like what you're currently doing. And so without opening a whole nother can of worms, and I would love to do this again sometime. Well, give you a 30 second yeah, please, please, so, please do. So for the past 14 years, uh, I've owned uh, my own sales and marketing company and, and my primary client has been a company called Freedom Boat Club. We got started in Savannah with one location, expanded to Hilton Head, to Beaufort, and uh, now to Richmond Hill in the south of Savannah. So it's four different locations. They keep me very busy uh, with new member recruitment for those, those clubs. So uh, I handle all the sales for those locations and we've done very, very well. Uh, franchise of the year, uh, two out of three consecutive years. Wow. Uh, so it's a it's a boating club? Yeah, and so, so it's a members-only boat club. You okay. join the club like you do a country club. You pay okay. a one-time entry fee, affordable monthly dues, and then you get unlimited access to the fleet of boats. You never have to worry about cleaning, maintenance. And oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a concept which I wish I would have created. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I, I had mentioned to you earlier that uh, we were just bought out at the corporate level. Uh, uh, when I say we, being Freedom Boat Club, was just bought out at the corporate level by a very large company called Brunswick. Uh, most people know them as you know, the bowling ball people, the bowling alleys, the, right. the pool tables, the foosball tables. Uh, uh, but they're, they're also one of the world's largest boat manufacturers. Uh, they manufactured the, the Sea Ray, the Boston Whaler you know, brands, and they are one of the world's largest uh, companies out there in that, in that space. And they just purchased our corporate locations from a friend of mine, a gentleman I've known and worked with for over 14 years, uh, who, uh, in all you know, practical purposes, just hit the lottery. Seriously, uh, that's a, that's that amazing. We, we think it was somewhere between fifty and hundred million dollars. He just sold it. Oof. He did well. I said it's an okay day. Mid forties, you know, he's, uh, he's he's done pretty well for himself. So I'm real proud of him and, and uh, what he's accomplished. But uh, but uh, I think what's going to happen is we were already on a a big footprint. Uh, we had expanded uh, this this year into. Uh, France, uh, next was Italy, Spain, Switzerland, UK, China, South America. Now with this merge or this purchase, uh, I think we're going to see a much larger footprint and uh, a growth rate that's going to be even greater than what we've seen. When we opened in Savannah, we were club number 24 in the network. Today we have over 175 locations nationwide with uh, expansion into Europe as well. That's incredible. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So there's my... There's my uh, two-second plug on, on yeah, that. I love it. I love it. Um, so for anybody that is... Oh, and by the way, Matt, I'm also in the process of launching another business. Of course. Of course. With my son-in-law. Oh, so, oh yeah. Okay. So we're, uh, 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 and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a plug here. So Please. On- Online Guys. Uh, is the name of the company. It's actually going to be... The website's not complete yet. We do have a... Uh, a site you can go to that you can actually put your information in and as soon as we launch, we'll send you an email. But but it's uh, online hyphen or dash, online-guys.com uh, is going to be the uh, the address. And it's, it's an e-commerce platform that uh, we're going to be offering a variety of different products and services through that. Um, and it's, it's going to be a great 
What's the what's the goal? What's like the like the mission statement almost, if you will, of it? Is it like a community, so, just a community for men kind of thing? Or so so when you ask me what the goal is, I guess it's to uh, to, to to provide an income for my son-in-law. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, uh, By uh, providing value, yeah, right? Exactly right. Uh, but it's uh, providing the best of the web. That's, okay. Uh, that's that's kind of the the tagline: providing the best of the web. And these are products and services that we've personally. Uh, researched, uh, either personally used or, or oh, okay. personally part of. Uh, obviously, Freedom Boat Club will be one of the yeah. ones on that site that you could absolutely you could, uh, go. You know, check them out. Uh, we we also work with some other companies. Um, another company that uh, I've recently partnered with. Uh, they're still working through some things that, uh, but but they're an online company as well. That, that you'll be able to go to our our site and and you'll be able to get discounts. On uh, airfare and, and other travel-related things, uh, as as well as um, gift cards to places like Walmart and and you know Home Depot and and, and these are and and when you use these products through our site, you'll actually not only pay what you would pay at the store or less, but you'll also get back reward points. Amazing. Doing so. So, and so reward points specifically through the the companies or the the right. at, through, the, those, through those right. companies. Uh, what, what it is is basically it's a clearinghouse company, and they have partnered with all of these big brand companies. And, and uh, what what they're doing is they're it's it's almost like a you've heard of Ebates. Yeah, it's like an Ebates on steroids. Okay, it, it really is because they're they're allowing you to. Every time you make a purchase online through these companies, or even in the store, if you're using one of the gift cards purchased through our website, mm-hmm. uh, you'll actually get a percentage back. Oh, wow. So it's pretty nice to be able to go to Walmart, for instance, and be able to purchase the things that I'm already purchasing. You're already going to get it, yeah. And then be able to get a rebate back on my purchases. That's one of the best things. The, the I never liked the model of like, okay, I'm going to get rewards points back, but I have to go buy things at a store that I not regularly purchasing. So the fact that you can flex that through a, a place like Walmart, that's huge. That's a whole other conversation because I've been involved in the network marketing field for about 30 years as well. Understanding the story earlier, I worked for the parent company, the Mary Kay Corporation. Richard right. Rogers and I used to sit around and talk. After he would uh, head home in the evenings, we'd sit down and talk. I actually got a formal education in the network marketing field from a a guy who today is worth billions of dollars. And uh, it's it's really interesting because in that business, you have to be careful because there are companies out there that in order for you to be successful, they require you to buy their specific brand of products or a product that you're not already purchasing. Right. And unfortunately for a lot of people who have dreams and visions and goals of being super successful and very wealthy, uh, they tend to get involved in these types of businesses, Mm -hmm. and you can't buy yourself into success. No. There's no cheat code. You're not going to be able to spend yourself into wealth. It doesn't happen that way. No. So I, too, kind of shy away from the companies that offer products that you're not already purchasing. Right. And telling you that if you purchase these products and you help others to purchase these products, you're going to create wealth from that. Because a lot of times those products are overpriced products yes. on lesser quality products. And you, I mean, there, the amount of work that you have to put into that, if it's not something that you already believe in and are, are a diehard consumer of, yes. you have to work on 
branding this thing that's not even yours exactly. out and that's that's difficult the only i actually have a little bit of experience with that my ex-wife got into young living as an mlm yes. but it was our initial experience with it was very much like her aunt had sent some oils it's an essential oil company and they she had sent some oils in the mail and we had them they sat on the shelf for like six seven months and i remember there was one day there was a a tornado warning. We were in North Carolina and there was a tornado warning and we had some friends over and we were all just talking and hanging out and getting ready to like, there are no basements in North Carolina. Right. Exactly. That's what it was. We're like, which closet, which closet can fit all of us. Okay. That, that's exactly, it's exactly it. And so we're there. And then all of a sudden she gets this terrible stomach ache and to the point where she can't even talk and she goes and lays down on the couch and the rest of us are still talking or whatever. And she's like, I'm just going to go relax. She was like, Hey, you know what? My aunt said something about peppermint oil being like phenomenal for stomach pain. She took, just, just give me the peppermint oil. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, here it is. Smell it or whatever. So she smelt it and then she took a little bit and put it on her belly button. And within like five minutes, she was back up and in the conversation and yeah. totally in it. And I was like, what just happened? Yeah. And so then we became we're like, well, let's, let's play around with this, you know? And so we, we ordered like a starter kit, no intention of being, uh, in the company in that way. And like, right. you know, a selling, right. um, and we just used it for a year, two years of just consumers and just playing like, oh, okay, we can use lavender for this and we can use this for that. And it was, and it was phenomenal and it worked really well, worked well for our kids, worked well for us, uh, for numerous things. And then she, I, I don't know what switch flipped, but she was like, I, I could do this. Like I talked to my friends and I recommend it. And then they're buying and they're going through my mom. She's like, we could get money every time that someone gets in and then I can. And so she started doing events and all of this stuff, but it was after, and the whole point of me telling the stories, it was after we had exactly like we, it, we had taken it on. And so we had, you know, our own personal testimonials. Then we grew the testimonials from our friends and it was something that we truly believed in. We weren't just pushing this product to gain wealth, exactly. you know? Exactly. Well, I, I'll help you wrap up by saying this. Uh, I've had a lot of experience in that field. I've had success in that field. I've won the cars. I've won the trips. Yeah, made sure. Money, right. Uh, my friend that I mentioned to you, Eric Warren, uh, he is, um, the biggest trainer in the world for network marketing. His company is Network Marketing Pro. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, uh, and, and, and he hosts a very big event every year to train professionals in that field. The problem with the network marketing industry over the years has been you had people getting in and not having any professional training in the field. Right. In the industry. And... Because of that, there have been a lot of people that not only didn't have the professional skill set, but were just unprofessional people in general who were just out to make a quick buck yep. and didn't care about giving value. And you might make that quick buck off the bat, but the sustained aspect of it if, you, if you're looking to shortcut to get that initial sale you're going to lose those people well, here's, here's the thing it goes back to value mm -hmm. okay if, if, if I'm going to market a product or a service to someone I have to make sure that I'm giving them the value one of the things that I learned over the years in the, in the, in the industry network marketing industry was that you have to have a product that's affordable to the masses that appeals to the masses okay 
uh, if you don't have that, 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 that gives them value, it, you're, you're, you're never going to be successful with it, period. And that's why I've always looked for, in those types of businesses, I always look for a company, for instance. Even the company I was just telling you about, that, that, that one of the companies we're partnered up with that's offering these things, it's a network marketing style business, but it's free. It, they removed all barriers. It's free to join. Okay, which is unheard of. That's insane. Right? Because in order for people to get their quote fast start money, you know, their, their, their upfront money or fast start money, okay, then they have to charge a fee of two, three, four, five hundred dollars or more for somebody to be quote recruited into the business. Um, I don't look for those companies, okay, because I don't really care about the fast start money. I don't no. need it. Nope. Okay, I don't. I don't want. I would rather get paid as earned. Okay, over time. Absolutely. I know people, I've got friends who have made millions of dollars in the network marketing industry. Yes. Who have done it as earned as opposed to upfront. And when you don't do upfront, you don't get something called chargebacks anyway, if you know what that term is. Uh, that's, that's, where, that's where somebody says, okay, I quit, and they want their money back. Oh, okay. Sudden, yeah. Your commission goes back to. Yep, you, you lose it. Yeah, lose that anyway. You lost it. I don't like chargebacks. They're not fun. No. So, bottom line is, is I, 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 I know there's some really good companies out there, and I know there's mm-hmm. some that aren't so great. My philosophy has always been, you know, partner with companies that offer a great product at a great value, preferably a product or service that you're already using. Yeah. Okay. So that you can just make the switch, you know, from going into that store maybe and just instead buying it online and buying it from yourself and absolutely same price or cheaper and you know getting rebate points on the back end. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. 100%. I want to extract one last piece of of bit from you if I can. So the premise of this is I'm trying to provide multiple different sets of blueprints for people that may feel like they're stuck in a rut. And the show is really geared towards those who are predisposed to the idea of entrepreneurship or self-determination, self-ownership, starting their own business, venturing out on their own. So... You have you are involved in, in several businesses right now, uh, and very successfully so. For somebody that is currently battling with the internal fears, or or you know, just and I love the acronym that you use. What was it again for fear? Yeah, false evidence appearing real. So how? What advice could you give based on your experience and, and the the decades of work that you've done and the success that you've achieved to people to overcome those false expectations? Well, self-development. That's going to be the key. Uh, it's putting yourself in front of some of these, these people that we talked about. Like, for instance, the Zig Ziglar's, the Tony Robbins, the Les Browns. Uh, it's, it's putting the positive in because what you'll find is that when you start understanding and, and hearing these things from people, that you can do anything in life. Um, and I, you know me, I, you know me by now. Yeah, man, I'm going to go yeah. back to the spiritual. Yeah, do it. Uh, I, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. Okay, that that that's a a, a Bible scripture that was actually was the very first one I ever learned. Really, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. Knowing that. You have the ability, you have the power within you to achieve these things. Uh, read the right books. Read about other ordinary people. I'm going to tell you right now, this Chris Hogan book, Everyday Millionaire, it's a great book for people to read because it does take the average ordinary person. 
I don't care, a blue collar. I'm talking people, people in his foot, police officers, okay? They don't make a ton of money. But, it, you know, the average ordinary person, giving them the tools they need to become financially successful over a period of time. And that's the only difference between when they start in their job and when they end in their job. It's just time and what they do in between it. So it's, it goes back to the dash, you know, that we talked about a minute yep. ago. You know, so... So I tell people that the best thing they can do is to, to confront and, and to overcome these fears. And is first of all, confront it. Right. Acknowledge that it is a fear. And then confront it and overcome it. And the way you're going to overcome it, surround yourself with the, the, the most successful people you can think of. Read the books. And, and you, if you don't know anybody that's successful, then now you do. And exactly. You're Go buy the books by yeah. Zig. Go buy the books by Tony Robbins. Go buy the Les Brown books. Listen, Les Brown has, and you can go to YouTube and you can watch. That's the amazing thing. It's at the, yeah. the tip of your fingers. All of this it's information right is right there. Right there. Listen, I didn't have those tools available to me back in the day. I was having to buy the books. What to say when you talk to yourself by Shad Hamstetter, Hamstetter, uh, Google. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm telling you, it's things like that. Uh, there was another book I read. 25, 30 years ago called uh, Psycho-Cybernetics. Okay? It's, a, it's, it's getting your mind right. It's, 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 it's thinking about the right things. And of course, for me, the Bible. Yeah. You know, go read the Bible. That has been one of the biggest inspirations in my life that's really allowed me to understand that I'm, I'm a lot more important than I thought I was. To others, right? You know what I'm saying. Um, I know I'm loved. I know I'm I'm cared for, and I know that there's somebody out there that's rooting for me. Mm-hmm. And his his name is God. It's amazing. So that's that's what I would say. Uh, that's that's how you overcome it. It's it's almost there's a compounding interest to action too. Um, once you start putting yourself in a position and you actually start taking action towards your goals. Like I can speak to this personally now. Uh, this is probably the, the 10th or 11th interview that I've done. And every single time that I go out, something happens. It's almost guaranteed something happens where I get introduced to somebody else. I meet somebody else and the, my network just continues to expand. And it's impossible for that to happen when I'm in the third season, seventh episode, binging on Netflix, sitting on my couch, you know? And so like just taking action, just putting yourself out there. Like uh, a lot of people refer to luck and I hate when people talk about luck when it comes to people pursuing their dreams. Because exactly, exactly. You put, if you're putting yourself, uh, I want to put myself in the position to be lucky. You know, you're not going to be lucky sitting down, not doing anything, not taking action towards your goal. The luck comes when you're putting in the work and the effort time and time again. I think it was Mark Cuban. I looked this up in a, in a previous interview. He was, he had talked about, uh, you work and you work and you fail and you fall on your face for seven years. And then you go back at it and you keep digging and you keep working hard and then you're successful. And then people look at you and like, Oh, look at this overnight success. And like, like that's that's, exactly n- that's not the way the real story played I think, out. I think there's a book called Fail Forward. Oh, that's beautiful. I love the premise uh, already. I, I I can't remember who wrote it, but mm-hmm. I believe uh, it was one of one of the books I read many years ago. 
uh, fail forward. And that's exactly right. And, and it's so true what Mark says is you, know, you you work, 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 work all those years and nobody sees that. Nope. Okay. And when you become successful, they're like, oh, well, you know, he, he, he just, I don't know. You're lucky. It must he be got, nice. He got lucky or, or, you know, somebody died and left him a bunch of money. Or right. You know. And that's not, that's not the way it works. No. You know, I will tell you, there is a statistic that says that uh, the average man in today's society doesn't reach the pinnacle of success until after he's 50. Okay? So I think you've got a head start on that. I'm working. Okay? I'm you've working. Got a head start on that. And, and, I, and I know that there are a lot of others who have done a really good job of, of, of reaching the pinnacle of success before they're 50. But I look around, I, I mean, a lot of my friends you know, who are older, you know, they're, they're enjoying life now. They're successful now mm-hmm. in life, and, and, and they're doing the right things. And, you know, I've got a couple of them that are already retiring, and I'm thinking, my gosh, I'm, I'm going to be 55 in July, and I can't even imagine, for me, you know, retiring. It's, it's, it's honestly, it's turned into, like, a dirty word in my head. Yeah. Like, yeah. I cannot imagine a life where I, I stop. <laughs> like, why would I ever stop? Like, I continuously want to learn and grow and meet new people and experience new cultures. It's... That's what drove me to start this, and and I'm finding a way to help people by having these conversations with you and, and being able to show that it's not an overnight thing. It is going to be hard work, but it's possible, and you're able to see it. I, I thought it was funny, by the way, that you knew Carrie. And, and oh, my it's, gosh. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's just a, such a small world. It is and, such and a small world. How I know him is uh, he's a member of the Boat Club. Oh, yeah. You know, that's so funny. I didn't even put it together because I've seen that. Uh, I've been to his show. So we're talking about Carrie Pollock from a previous interview, uh, owner and pri- sole uh, entertainer, if you will, for yeah, the match. He does. He does. Yeah. Yeah. I actually met one on the day that I interviewed him. Uh, he had a buddy there who wasn't he wasn't performing for him that night, but they were discussing scheduling for because Carrie was he had just got back in town and he knew that he was getting ready for some more vacation time or or uh going out I I know that we had discussed in the conversation that he's actually going to perform on Fool Us for he's going to like so he's gone there and he's he's sold uh you know different devices to Penn and Teller and amazing amazing but he's actually going to go there and perform uh, and try to fool them. And he kind of, I don't know, I don't remember if he said it. I, I doubt that he said it in the recording and I'm not going to say it again here because he kind of gave me a little bit of his strategy in the way that he's going to go about fooling them. And it's, it's genius. It's genius. But so once I find out, uh, when that's going to come, I'll, I'll let you guys know, you know, on whatever episode when I figure that out, but I can't wait. I can't wait to see him up there. Yep. I've been there twice. So I was introduced to him, uh, by you were, Christina, you were sparky, were you? I was Sparky. <laughs> I have the Sparky trophy, and it's because it's because I knew uh, Bob and Christina, yeah. and they brought me there, and because they knew him, they're like, "Hey, make him Sparky." Exactly. They told him before the show, so I got it. I got and that with that, he just he he finds somebody in the audience, and they are his pet throughout the, throughout the and it, it it was great. It, it, while you are kind of the subject of a lot of laughter. It's still really fun. You get free drinks. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, it was amazing. And it was really cool again. So when I did the interview, he was like, hey, stick around after. He's like, let me get you something to eat. Let's drink some wine. And I was like, that's awesome. He's like, and just, you know what? Stick around for the show. I got a show coming up. And so I st- I literally, he he plied me with liquor, with food, and with a free show for the entire night. And after he gave me, he volunteered an hour of his time to sit down and talk to me. He gave me all, I'm like, what? Thanks, but it was really it was a really cool experience to see somebody else be sparky yeah, for the yeah, night. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, you, know, you know what he also does is after the show. Uh, usually, all you know the, the masses leave. Yep. But uh, usually, if there's anybody hanging out after, he's like, "Hey, anybody want to go eat some pancakes over at the IHOP or you know whatever?" Yeah. And they're like they go out, you know, because it's nighttime entertainer, so he's out till three a.m. and I'm like, man. I can't, I can't. It's so late. <laughs> so it was actually really cool. The first, the when I was Sparky, the night of my Sparky initiation, <laughs> he, uh, because he, Bob and Christina were there, we were all talking for like 45 minutes after the show was over and everybody cleared out. And he was like, he's like, do you guys want like a, like a, clo- I forget, I for- always forget the name. It's like close up magic, like where it's, it's like the card tricks that are done right there. They're all like really sleight of hand stuff. And so he did that and he just kept going for like an hour and a half and i was like bro it's like one in the morning and you're still killing it like he's he's a professional and his ability to entertain and to because it's it's a combination it's comedy and it's magic and he's on it for both of them it's phenomenal but yeah no that was once once i found out that you had told me that you knew them and you knew bob and christina like this is the the thing is the people out here all of the people that I've met that are that are crushing it out here ge- one genuinely good people and they're all connected like uh, everyone knows each other from this that or the other levels, and of yeah I'm no uh, I'm no Bob and Christina that they just sold yeah. like like but yeah no that was uh that was I've stayed on their yacht and it it's bigger than the house that i grew up in it's it was gorgeous it was absolutely gorgeous yeah, but yeah. they yeah i actually met them uh year before last at the uh christmas parade downtown i do the christmas the boat parade the christmas boat parade downtown. oh really yeah I, i'm usually the lead boat oh. christmas parade and uh, i went to that i think it was the year before last it was so I cool was there. yeah so, uh, i'm usually the lead boat but the reason why is because what i do is I volunteer the day of to be the shuttle boat to bring all of the people from the boats across the river. Oh, okay. Christina and Bob had their yacht there, not this last year, the year before. They had their yacht over there, so I was shuttling them back and forth. Wow. And, and we got to know each other. Sure. And talk and everything, and uh, uh, it was they're, they're, they're amazing people. It's it, like how kind and generous and... Just like their spirit and what what they try to do with their restaurant and just it's it's incredible and just Most incredible humans. People I've found are just that way. Truly, and that's they that's one of the with others. Yeah, you know, success, how to be successful, what they've done to be successful. I found that to be the case. The one, the ones that aren't that way, they just uh, they're, they're the ones that don't define success the way I do. Right. They're the ones that may have. A nice home, nice cars, nice boats, whatever, but they're missing something. Exactly. Void. And, you know, their, their family life is horrible or whatever the case may be. 
And there's and that's that's another this is kind of like a byproduct of the show that I'm doing is just that is to break the stigma of successful people because we we have this idea of like eat the millionaires you know like if you once you become a millionaire then all of a sudden you've become this immoral aspect of society like oh I didn't realize that going from nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars to the extra dollar now has made me a bad person. You know, then I take advantage of people and I step on them. And it, it, by listening to all of the people I've talked to, it, I think it should be it should become clear and it should continue to gain more clarity. It's not the case. So Robert Kiyosaki, and of course, you know who he is, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Oh, yeah, 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 yes, yeah. So, so he and Trump wrote a book years ago called Why We Want You to Be Rich. This was, would have been mid-2000s, 2005, 2006, something like that. And it's really amazing. It's an amazing book. And people should read it. And everybody should want to be rich. And it's not, not because of things. It's because if everybody had the ability to stand on their own two feet, imagine what our world would look like. Imagine, you know, no one's suffering from hunger. No one's suffering from, from homelessness. Okay? Everyone would have the knowledge to be able to help others. And uh, it's just an amazing concept. And you, you shouldn't want or desire to be rich just for the sake of things. You should want or desire to be rich for the sake of humanity and what you can do going back to leaving the legacy. It's as simple as that. It seems like a great place to just put a period on the end of all of this. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If people want to reach out and... and like utilize any of the resources or, or your companies, like how would they best go about? Yeah, so uh, I, I am connected through the Freedom Boat Club concept, uh, simply uh, freedomboatclub.com and uh, fill out a little information form and it comes to me. Uh, or if you want to uh, check us out online with our online-guys.com, you can, you can connect uh, with me there as well. Um, and of course you can, you can find me, uh, Google, you can do, I mean, I'm out there. So yeah. You can find me, uh, through a variety of different ways, but those would be the two easiest ways to connect with me and, and uh, uh, I'll, uh, I'll make myself accessible. Awesome. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. So there was... Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Sherman. I hope you uh I hope that you enjoyed. It was a good, nice, long, hearty episode. We kept it under, under two hours for you. Um but I really think that Steve brought up a lot of really great things like I had mentioned before the show and and I, I hope that you got some value out of it. If you did, let me know. Shoot me a message and, and if you have some people that you know that fit the bill for the show, hit me up. Find me on Facebook, Matt Lestalia. Um, burn your boats. Uh, we got our we got our web page up and running. Burnyourboatsshow.com. We got a fan page on Facebook. Burn your boats fan page. Um, hit me up. Follow along. Watch the journey as we progress. And and I'm I just I really want to encourage you to to take a look at the things that are holding you back and keeping you from from reaching those upper echelons of your life. Whether it be within the industry that you're in or if it is breaking out and 
and shooting for that business that you've always wanted to start or that just that line of effort that you really wanted to that you're just really passionate about you know um shoot it might even just be like making ads for somebody you know and just like you're really good you're really creative and you know how to how to work photoshop and powerpoint and stuff and you can and you can just create some compelling artwork and you understand copy and everything uh and and if that's that's what drives you what really doesn't matter whatever it is that drives you find a way to incorporate that into your life start that side hustle and uh and and get off your butt man get off your butt and and burn those boats burn the things get rid of those things that are holding you back get rid of those things that those safety nets that keep you complacent if that's if that's the the situation that you find yourself in get rid of those things and uh and and start driving forward you know and you don't even have to wait you don't even have to wait until those are gone like start now start like it's not a bad idea to start from a position where you've got the security of that job and you just start taking positive action towards those goals towards those things that drive you and you can find a way to monetize it or if you can find a way to monetize it then then do that man and and you'd be surprised at the things that you're able to do to support yourself while supporting you'd be surprised at the things you can do that will support you and support yourself both emotionally and financially at the same time so start and it starts with uh with knowing what that is so i encourage you to to take those moments of introspection um, sit down, embrace some silence every once in a while. I know that I'm super guilty of this, of of sitting there and, and just flipping from one podcast to another, then watching a show, and then um, putting on music, and, and just constantly inundating myself with noise, and not giving my brain space to be quiet. And that's when I have my most creative moments. Oftentimes when I, when I was running more, um, I would be on a run and I would, it would usually be by accident. I'd find myself running or getting ready to run and I'd drive up to a park or whatever and I'd bust out the headphones cause you know, I gotta, I gotta stay up on the most latest episode of whatever podcast I'm listening to. Um, just like you guys are with this show. I know it because you just, you love it and you can't get enough and that's, and that's good. I'm here for you. I got you. I got you. So, um, but no, I'd show up and I'd go to run and I'd, I'd bust out the headphones and I realized I hadn't charged them and they'd be dead. And it would be like this moment of pure devastation <laughs> where I'm like, what do I do? I can't even run now. And then, I, but I still would cause I'm, I'm there. I drove, you know? And so I, uh, I'd run and the, it's, it's this beautiful state of meditation because you catch this rhythmic breathing, um, and you really, you, you process through all of the bullshit of the day, and if you're going for a long enough run, you process through that, and if you need to, you process through it again, and then you pick up some of the things individually, and you go through those, and, you, and you just, you're just diving into it, and then once you get through that, then you just get to this kind of, this blank space, uh, and for me, that's when a lot of the those creative moments come up, and that's where a lot of the inspiration for the shows come up, that's where a lot of the uh, the paths i'm trying to go down with it and with other things that's where they that's where they originated and so find your run find your your moment of solitude of silence to to really dive in to yourself and figure it out what it is that that drives you and then once you figure that out you just take that first step 
take that first step on that journey. And when you do this, get a hold of me. Let me know. I want to follow along. I want to. I want to. I want to be aware of these journeys as they start to take place and as they start to take a better form and you're taking more action and people are getting excited. Like I said, I had mentioned before the show about Brown's Rustic Creations and it was just, it felt like it spurt out of nowhere and then he's just getting opportunities to sell his work left and right and it's such a beautiful thing. It's so amazing to see somebody put in that type of work, create something beautiful and then have people in in the marketplace you know demand it and then pay good money for these pieces it's fantastic and i love it so much support for him so much support for steve i love steve sherman he was phenomenal i cannot express my gratitude enough for this man and i'm looking forward to potentially more conversations with him in the future and collaborating with him and and people that he knows it's this community down here is amazing and i just that's that's one thing i just i always want to i want to cap things off with is you know stay loving stay grateful i love you guys i'm grateful for you and i will see you here again next week